is in Paris and today we have with us Melissa Lavagnu. She is a researcher. She is a researcher, in fact, on India's foreign policy. And it's quite uh, interesting that we have experts on Indian foreign policy sitting here in Paris. She has, in fact, been to India several times and worked with think tanks in New Delhi. Welcome to Reason, the New Indians platform where we get to the reason behind the issues that concern you. Well, let me begin this conversation with um, the subject that you have researched on for several years. You've done, in fact, a PhD thesis was also on sociology of Indian foreign policy. So tell us, one, in broader terms, is there a pattern, is there a certain fundamental to India's foreign policy? And also, do you see if there is any difference um, between the foreign policy of the Modi government and his predecessors? So on the broader foreign policy, Indian foreign policy, so to be more precise, my PhD was a sociology of the Indian Ministry of External Affairs. So I really looked into how the Indian MEA um, developed starting from 1947 and how uh, it developed until uh, today. And I, my the main research question was how India is such being such a, a big uh, you know emerging power and now such a big power in the world, how India is coping with its diplomacy when its diplomacy is so small and with so much lack of means and lack of human resources. So I, I tried to understand how the Indian diplomacy was coping with this lack of means and how it developed. Um, so in terms of uh, the development of Indian foreign policy, I think that the main main pattern of Indian foreign policy has been the strong attachment to Indian strategic autonomy. I think that is a, a pattern that we can see from Nehru's time to today and to Narendra Modi's um, prime government and diplomacy. So this strong attachment to strat Indian strategic autonomy has really uh, helped India um, become a strong voice on the international scene. Uh, even if, depending on the times, India has adopted different kind of strategies, different kind of partnerships, but it has always, always tried to protect its strategic autonomy. Okay, so there is not really a difference between what they are saying that there is a right-wing government and it has a certain foreign policy. There was a left-wing government uh, before Prime Minister Modi's government and it had a different po foreign policy. You don't, as a researcher, as um, uh, somebody who has invested so much time and energy into it, you don't see much change. Uh, I would say that there, there is a lot of continuity between uh, the former government and the current government. Uh, what has changed, I think, is the change in the style and the dynamism of Indian foreign policy. When Modi arrived in power, he didn't, like, he did, he didn't revolutionize uh, India's foreign policy. It kept the same core principles of its foreign policy and especially this idea of multi-alignment. It really increased its, its number of uh, foreign trips mm -hmm. uh, to meet, like to, to reinforce its strategic partnerships with many, many, many countries. 
So I think that it's really a change in, in terms of the style and dynamism of Indian foreign policy. Um, the, something that was already happening under Manmohan Singh government was um, India's Indian diplomacy's investment in social networks, in public diplomacy. And this was already happening before Narendra Modi's government, but we've seen you know, more and more means being put in, in this uh, public diplomacy. Well, um, you know, if you asked old timers in India, they would say that Nehru also had this uh, one, he had the style and he was also seen as somebody very westernized and he was uh, going abroad and meeting uh, people in Britain who mm. were earlier our colonizers. Then we saw the era of Indira Gandhi also reaching out to the world leaders. We saw Rajiv Gandhi in the same style going and meeting uh, people in Washington DC and other countries. But you're saying that um, something, there is more energy into yes into Modi government's foreign policy. Can you explain it uh, from a foreign perspective? Like, how do you mean more energy? How does the West look at India today under Modi's India? Um, I would say more energy in terms of internationalizing Indian foreign policy, like the prime minister and his also his national security advisor, his minister of external affairs, they really go everywhere, they invest in each country. We've seen recently foreign trips to Africa, to Latin America, to the Pacific Islands. So all of these countries, like India has always expressed an interest in these countries, but now uh, I think that the perception from the French perspective is that India is really trying to look at developing concrete projects with these countries, which is like beyond declaration of principles, really trying to invest in these countries to develop projects. So I think from a Western perspective, there is this idea that there is an opportunity for cooperation between Western countries who are already investing in developing projects in other, in other continents like in Africa or in the Pacific Islands. And looking at like their interest is to look at India and say, what we can do together in these countries. Component of India's foreign policy has always been India's soft power. Do you think that Modi's foreign policy has also included that component? I think so when you think about the Yoga International Day or this yeah, increase in promoting uh, the Indian culture. Uh, I think there is a slip another side like the other side of the coin which is uh, of course western analysts and western watchers also look at the development of indian hindu nationalism uh, from a worried perspective as well so it's not paradoxal but uh, india's soft power has increased in a way and decreased in other way when it comes to looking at democracy defense of uh, human rights and defense of the minorities in india with India having emerged as the fifth largest economy, do you see or foresee that India may change its foreign policy in the near future? We are also seeing a certain Cold War 2.0 kind of situation mm -hmm. emerging in the world with the US on the one hand and China on the other hand. Um I don't know in the, like, I could not forget the future, but what we see, the trends that we see that for the moment, India is really um, successful in navigating in all these trends. 
Uh, I think that one uh, very interesting explanation of Indian foreign policy was given in the book of uh, Subramaniam Deshankar, your Minister of External Affairs, The Indian Way, uh, in which he really explains very clearly how India needs to navigate in, in what you call this Cold War 2.0 and really try to, um, to extract all it can like from this situation, which means that India has a multi-alignment policy uh, which was shown when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. India did not condemn directly Russia. And despite the fact that India has very close relationship to the US and to European countries. And so this was a very good example of this capacity of India to make multi-alignments uh, in order to preserve its own interests. So this is a trend I think that uh, India is trying to keep this multi-alignment foreign policy. Now there, is, there are limitations to all kind of strategies. So what will India do if there is a, like, if there is a war between China and the US? Um, this is a big question mark. We don't have the answer. But I think this is the limitation. When, when you choose not to choose sides, at some point, if the crisis really happen, like there is a big question on what, what are you going to do? So uh, let's say, uh, let's, uh, you have posed a very important uh, question and an important scenario that a war between two superpowers, where will India be siding with and whose side it will be on. And uh, if you look back into the past, we had a Cold War in the world. When I say Cold War 2.0, we're talking about US-China situation, but we had a Cold War uh, 1.0, which was between the US and USSR. Mm. And we did see, as you rightly pointed out in the beginning, that India has enjoyed its strategic autonomy mm. on foreign policy. In two point, uh, in 1.0 Cold War, India was with non-aligned movement. Um, NEM, which became actually a worldwide phenomena for many developing mm. countries, for many poor countries. Uh, why do you think that India needs to take a position in 2.0 situation? I don't think that India needs to take a position. I'm just asking whether, and it's a question that I'm asking to myself as a French person as well, because there are a lot of similarities between the French and the Indian foreign policy, especially the attachment to strategic autonomy. So the question I, I'm asking, and I've, I don't have the answer, is what do these countries like India and France who are really trying to promote not a third way, because it's not the idea of really creating a third pass between uh, the US and China, but they're trying really to promote an inclusive, um, inclusive international relations that is based on rules-based order and that really includes everyone and does not force countries to choose. It's just a question like, what will they do? There is a big crisis. But I'm not saying that they have to choose now. I think that they are chosen uh, right paths of trying to navigate in between mm -hmm. and trying to be to to promote this inclusive perspective of the indo-pacific so coming to indo-pacific we know that uh, since us and china are now engaged in a certain level of confrontation it may not be uh, the confrontation that we have seen between the us and soviet union uh, in the 80s or in the 70s, but it looks like there is a certain tension between the US and China today. 
and we are seeing some measures that have been taken by the US administration. In fact, the Biden administration uh, came with the, uh, um, with the framework on Indo-Pacific economic framework, mm. right? IPEF, and then we also know that, uh, uh, it, in fact, uh, this whole idea of Indo-Pacific was uh, Shinzo Abe's yes. idea. And this idea is now almost being lapped up by the entire West. We also see European nations yes. have included Indo-Pacific vision in their um, foreign policy, including uh, France. So tell us, why is Indo-Pacific important today? Where is the necessity for France included? to have a vision document on Indo-Pacific? I think the first merit of the, these, all these Indo-Pacific strategies that have, that have emerged is the fact that countries which have adopted Indo-Pacific strategies, they share different Indo-Pacific strategies have different, um, uh, of course, in the, if you go into the details, each country has its own vision, but in the general sense, they share similar view of the Indo-Pacific, this idea that there is a security continuum between the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, the idea that there is a wariness in terms of militarization of the area, there, there is wariness in terms of the rise of China and how China might uh, attempt uh, to breach the international world order. So all these countries have adopted this kind of similar view of the Indo-Pacific and of the fact that they need to protect um, the world-based order, that they need to protect multilateralism, that they need to protect um, maritime security and these kind of issues. So the, the merit, I think, of these Indo-Pacific strategies is for the countries to take a stand and to say that they have a common vision of this broad area. And this is very new because if you just take uh, the case of France, we used to to talk, to, to, to talk about Asia-Pacific with a main focus on China, saying Indo-Pacific also means that you include the Indian Ocean and specifically India as one of your main partners in the region. And it also means that you include, when you think about the region, you just think about Asia on the one hand, the Pacific on the other hand, and the east of Africa in another part that you try really to look at all the security continuum from the east of Africa to the western part of America, and that really try to, to include this in your strategy and in your way of uh, implementing your foreign policy. You've studied India's foreign policy. Did you notice anywhere in India's 75 years of foreign policy that India was worried about the Indo-Pacific or security uh, of the Indian Ocean as well? Um, I think that India was mainly focusing on the security of the Indian Ocean. And what the Indo-Pacific also changed was this need for India to extend its vision. So India at that, at that time, when Shinzo Abe made its, his speech in 2007, India already had a Lukist policy, a Lokwest policy. So India was already, of course, looking beyond the Indian Ocean and beyond South Asia, but the Indo-Pacific like let you include this look east policy, look west policy into a like a core strategy. Mm -hmm. That was changed, I think. And it has led India also to think about uh, the Indian Ocean not not only as its, its precaré, which means uh, the area where 
India has to protect its own interests without really inviting other partners to um, cooperate. And it has led India to really look at the Indian Ocean as an area of cooperation with other countries. And we see now, especially between France and India, there is a strong dialogue on the Indian Ocean region and how, on how to secure the region together. So explain for our audience, why is Indo-Pacific a security concern for India? I think that the Indo-Pacific is a security concern mainly because of the rise of China, even if China is never mentioned as a main rival to India for like obvious reasons, mainly because um, India is heavily dependent on China in terms of uh, trade and because India has uh, these strong border issues with China. So India really cannot uh, alienate China totally. But uh, for sure, India has been worried about the rise of China and especially the rise of China in its neighborhood and the rise of China in the Indian Ocean. And I think for India, but also for, for many countries who have adopted an Indo-Pacific strategy, the opening of a, of a military base by China in Djibouti in 2016 was really a turning point uh, where countries saw that China was really trying to project its power out of its area and that it could, be, it could become a concern, a security issue. The major security concern for India has remained territorial disputes. Today in Ladakh, we had in Doklam and Galwan Valley. We still have an issue in Depsang Valley. So why do you think that Indian security establishment or Indian foreign policy makers would be today concerned about Indo-Pacific, which uh, from India's perspective is still Pacific, is still far away, and uh, the immediate concern would be the territorial boundaries with Tibet, which is now part of China. For sure, the main concern is the immediate concern, the, the issue at the border. But there is also an increasing maritime security concern and especially the, the, the necessity to protect uh, the Malacca Straits and the different, the different straits uh, throughout the Indo-Pacific. This is a big concern for India and for all Indo-Pacific countries because it's, it's an issue of um, freedom of navigation and freedom of uh, maritime commerce. So, so this do you is a big that, issue. That China's uh, aggressive expansionist uh, position on South China has led to this belief that China could expand further into the Indo-Pacific. Yes, yes, there is this strong wariness about what China is doing in South China and uh, in the South China Sea, and we've seen that China is expanding. For example, for example, in Pakistan, when we, you see China's investment in the Gwadar port, uh, we know that it's not only a commercial port and that, that there are security stakes in the Gwadar port. And there is really this wariness from India in um, when it looks at all China's investment in the South Asian ports, in the port of Ambantota in Sri Lanka, uh, in when China increases its influence in the Maldives, and then it also goes to um, Oman and to Djibouti. Mm -hmm. So there is really this increase of uh, maritime security concern. And I think that the Indian Navy has been very proactive in promoting this um, awareness, in, in uh, raising awareness within the Indian security establishment. Uh, the, the, the Navy published its uh, maritime strategy in 2016 
and it was very clear uh, in this maritime strategy, you can see very clearly the Navy stating where its interests are in the Indian Ocean region and stating very clearly that um, the Indian security establishment has to um, focus on this region. Well, uh, you're talking about maritime security, you're talking about Indo-Pacific security, uh, but if, you, if we look at the solutions or frameworks that have emerged in the last uh, few years, we have quadrilateral grouping, which is uh, Japan, Australia, India, US, uh, on the one hand, but Biden administration brought Indo-Pacific economic okay. framework we do not have a security framework uh, for the issues that you are actually pointing out. We have an economic framework for many of the things which are already existing, many of the trade agreements between uh, Southeast Asian countries and the West, many of the agreements uh, between uh, countries in Asia. So where is, where is the security framework? What are we really talking about? God is not really, did not emerge anything substantial on security. Uh, we don't see IPEF concerning itself with security either. So what exactly is the solution and what solutions can emerge from even the Indo-Pacific vision that uh, many countries are not talking about? Um, it's a it's a very important question that you're asking, and on, like there are also multiple frameworks, and this is an issue in the Indo-Pacific today. You have multiple minilateral, multilateral initiatives. So you mentioned the Quad, but we can also mention the Indian Ocean Naval Symposium that India set up in the Indian Ocean uh, between the navies of the Indian Ocean. It was set up in 2007. You have the Indian Ocean Rim Association. There are also specific minilateral arrangements in the Pacific. So today the big question is how, when you have all this kind of multiplication of initiatives that focus on security issues, how can they like coordinate better together in order to bring solutions and concrete solutions? And I think that is the main um, issue for the near future. It's really to uh, try to promote multilateralism but be careful that too much multilateralism doesn't lead to nothing. You know, if you are too many, uh, sometimes it makes things more complicated. So today I think that there are discussions and reflections within Western countries with countries of the Quad on how to coordinate better and bring uh, concrete solutions. But as of today, there doesn't seem to be any concrete solution on the security front. Would you agree with that? There are concrete solutions. Uh, if you look, for example, uh, to take a, um, like a very specific example in the Pacific, you have the, the France agreement between France, uh, the US and New Zealand, and the three countries cooperate in humanitarian and assistance and disaster relief. So you have this kind of specific coordination framework that bring concrete and specific security solutions to specific issues. But you don't have today an alliance, a defense alliance like NATO, for example, in the Indo-Pacific, and I'm not sure that this is desirable. So you think it's not desirable? The, no, I don't think it's desirable. Explain to us why it's not desirable. Um, I think it's not desirable because that will mean that countries of the Indo-Pacific will 
create a coalition, a defense alliance, concretely against China. Uh, and I don't think that this will bring peace, but on the contrary, I think this will just increase tensions in the region. So this is also why you have all this kind of minilateral and multilateral initiatives focusing on specific issues and trying to find solutions, being inclusive, because you cannot antagonize China more and more. You cannot create a coalition. And sometimes the US have strategic communication that tries to take the other countries and say, hey, like, let's do a containment against China. Mm -hmm. But I think that countries like India, like the European countries, they are, and specifically also ASEAN countries, they're all against that. Mm -hmm. Because nobody can afford making a coalition against China. That's not the goal. The goal is to avoid war against China. Then uh, United States, Australia and United Kingdom, they did come out mm -hmm. with a security framework, which is called AUKUS. Uh, where was the necessity for that? To, because the US have been trying to be really at the center of a network of alliance in the Indo-Pacific. And I think that the it was a necessity for the US to show that they can bring an alliance in the Indo-Pacific, which is AUKUS. But for the moment, we don't really know what AUKUS will lead to. We know that there, there is cooperation in terms of intelligence, in terms of cybersecurity, but it's not very clear about what they're aiming at. When you say we cannot antagonize China and when you say there could be a situation and India will have to choose a side. So how do you reconcile these uh, contradictory uh, views? Yes, to answer to these scenarios if they really happen. But I don't think it's contradictory. Hmm. The, the, the aim is really to not antagonize China and avoid a conflict. But you, when you think about like if you're a responsible uh, strategic thinker, you're you have to think about the worst case scenario. Why do we not see much of international intervention or international diplomacy where uh, China, which has been expansionist and aggressive, why isn't China being, uh, uh, you could say, why isn't there being any diplomacy which can hold back China? The, the Galwan Valley crisis that happened in 2020, it was always below you know, the level of conflict. So there was never a necessity for international diplomacy to intervene and to try to de-escalate. And I don't think that the two countries ask for the, like for foreign intervention. So why would the Western countries, for example, intervene? But I, they, the Western countries made strong statements when the Galwan crisis happened in favor of uh, India. India. Yeah. So in, in a foreseeable military escalation between India and China, you think that that the West, um, whether it's NATO countries or these mini alliances which have emerged, they are going to be on the side of India? I think they will. If there is, if there is proof that it's really China the... Is the aggressor? The aggressor. I think they, they will give diplomatic support to India. Okay. And... Uh, India's relationship with Russia on one hand, with the West on the other hand, over Ukraine. I think, uh, as you mentioned at the outside, uh, at the outset of this conversation, that there is strategic autonomy um, policy of the Indian state, which has been uh, consistent with its tradition. How does the West now look at it? Do, do you think that the West really understands 
India's position or relationship with Russia yes. vis-a-vis Ukraine? I think that uh, at the beginning it was quite tough. Like when India took its stand at the beginning not to condemn Russia, I think that Indian diplomacy was under a lot of pressure from the Western diplomacy uh, because the Western countries didn't really, uh, like really the day after the crisis, they didn't really understand uh, India's position. They didn't expect India to take this stand. And I think that India diplomacy was very, like they made very strong statements and they were very pedagogical in their way of explaining why they were taking this position. And I think that there, nowadays there is a strong understanding between India and Western countries about why India has taken this stand, where do in India's interests lie and this necessity for India to, to keep its relation with China, with Russia, uh, in a good way. Uh, first, because it depends um, on energy, like on a lot on energy imports. And also because India is still heavily dependent on Russia in terms of defense equipment. Uh, more than 80% of India's yes. defense equipment is from Russia. So India wants to diversify its defense supplies, but it will take time. And I think that um, Western countries have understood uh, India's position. So a um, lot of media hype or in fact uh, media projections that India was uh, buying cheap oil from Russia while not really looking at how much oil uh, Europe was mm. buying from Russia, uh, even after the sanctions were imposed. Uh, so you are saying basically that the West now recognizes that, that India is not doing something which other countries are not doing. Yes, I, I think so. I think that the, the West now recognizes, at least they understand, why India has adopted this foreign policy, um, even if they could, they might hope that India might change its position because that might help in the negotiations between so the Western is, countries and Russia. How, what is their perspective? How do they see India now in this scenario? When you say they understand their position, what do they really understand? They understand that India cannot afford to buy oil like at like very heavy prices because of its development issues. And they understand that India is still dependent on defense equipment from Russia. And they also understand that India needs Russia in the way that if India antagonizes Russia completely, Russia might fall into the China's orbit definitely. Mm -hmm. And India needs to balance between all these factors. And there is also the history of India-Russia relationship and that it cannot cut its relationship with Russia like this. When we talk about India's foreign policy, a lot of it also depends on uh, domestic politics. A lot of it is also dependent on how India performs economically. India in the last few decades has done very well economically. How does the West, especially France, look at India as a huge economy or a potential economy where uh, the West could benefit from it. I think that the, in France, the private sector has started only recently to look at India as a, the country where it's interesting to invest in. Uh, it's also related to the difficulty, I think, to navigate within India and to understand 
you know, like uh, the regulations in terms of foreign defense, uh, for foreign uh, direct investment. Um, and I think that under Modi's government, we've seen uh, improvement of this kind of clarification of the different kind of regulation. So, um, and it's also related to to the wariness uh, of the relationship with China and the fact that French companies try to relocate and to ensure the resilience of their uh, supplies. So nowadays there is a convergence of view that India is an emerging and big market in which it could be interesting to invest in. But I think that there is still a lack of understanding of the Indian economic market in France. And there isn't enough research or uh, do you mean to say that there isn't enough uh, exposure? What do you mean there is there is not There is lack of research, lack of exposure, lack of relations. It's, it's, it's changing, it's, it's changing quite, quite fast. Uh, but if you compare uh, the French interest and the French knowledge of China, it's completely different. So you mean to say French have greater knowledge of China, Chinese economy and market than India's economy? Yes, because China has for a long time been the French main economic partner in Asia. So that's also re like the history changing. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, where do you see the French and India relationship going with, as you're saying that it's very fast uh, changing the whole notion about India or Indian economy. Where do you foresee this relationship going? I think that so beyond the defense sector, which is a specific sector, there are many opportunities like the French are now looking at opportunities in terms of infrastructure development, in terms of digital development, in terms of uh, health, uh, in terms also of cooperation in the climate sector and um, renewable energies. So there are a lot of opportunities for the economic sectors between France and India. Do you think India, you pointed out that India buys 80% of its uh, defense equipment from Russia. Do you think India is going to slightly change or move away from Russia uh, in defense sector? Yes, we've seen that with the last five years, Indian acquisitions, for example, of the uh, French Rafale, of the French uh, Scorpion submarines, uh, acquisitions of many uh, American equipments as well. So for sure India is trying to diversify its defense acquisitions. Uh, but this, um, and the, I think that the Indian government is very clear in the fact that it wants to diversify its acquisitions, but it also wants to make in India. So mm -hmm. it's also looking, the Indian government is look, also looking for very um, important transfer of technology. And I think that um, the, the French, the Americans and other Western countries are now much more ready to agree with this transfer of technology, They're much more than ready. they used to, they are. They yeah. are much more than they used to be in the past. Okay, what's the reason for that? I think the reason is the increase uh, of trust in the partnerships, because uh, especially in the defense and security sector, you need to build trust before you know, before contracting this kind of very important uh, deals. So I think there is a higher level of trust, higher level of uh, strategic convergence. And also there is, because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there is also a strong, better understanding of Indian foreign policy and uh, willingness uh, from the Western countries to help India 
diversify uh, its, its different partnerships and so to agree with Indian terms. So would you say that it is uh, uh, Dr. Jay Shankar, its Ministry of External Affairs, its Prime Minister Modi, or it's generally India which has earned that position of trust and respect in the West? It's happening now, so it's thanks to the Modi government and to the the, the current Minister of External Affairs, but it was built, you know, like throughout the years, since the years, um, since the end of the 90s, I would say, if you look at French-India relations. So the strategic partnership was signed in 1998 at a very important moment and difficult moment for India because it was just after the Indian nuclear tests. And India was under sanctions from the US at that time. It was under uh, strong condemnation from many countries at that time, the French were willing to sign a strategic partnership with India. So it was the beginning of this trustful partnership that started in 1998 and that has now developed uh, until today, after 25 years. And it's very interesting because when you look at French-India defense relations, in, throughout these 25 years, it has really developed in all areas of defense cooperation, in maritime, in uh, air force, in um, cyber security, intelligence security, submarine cooperation. So it's really developed in all, in the whole spectrum of deterrence and cooperation. So you're actually forcing a very good uh, future for France and India relationship. Yeah, I think so. I don't see any any reason for no like for not going into this uh, trend of. Uh, like on, you know, step-by-step -step improvement of defense cooperation.